service. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This episode is brought to you by Azo. Ever felt off balance down there? Introducing Azo Vaginal Health Products. Azo Complete Feminine Balance helps restore the balance of good bacteria. And if you want protection from yeast and urinary tract issues, try Azo Dual Protection. Save 20% with the promo code PODCAST at azoproducts.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Tic Tac. Minty, refreshing, classic. And it's not just the Tic Tac mints. It's the new track by Canise with beats that'll leave you feeling as refreshed as a Tic Tac and a vibe that'll take you on a ride through 100 layers of flavor. Does it get any fresher than this? Tic Tac, enjoy the bright side. That hundred layer joy ride. Pop one, let's paint the town. Freshman flavors all around. Take a ride on a Tic Tac. Pick up a pack of Tic Tac mints today. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Badlands listeners, are you here? Are you with me? Are you too tired to go to bed? Too riled up to stay home? I know I am. This is another podcast that comes after the podcast. Welcome to Badlands, the rap party. Welcome to the Badlands bonus episode, another thing we like to call the rap party. And just like that other show, this is a show that comes after the show. A voyage from one episode of Badlands to the other, the backlot breakdown of sorts. On this episode, we are talking about Joan Crawford, the Pope's Exorcist, our favorite westerns, plus my recommendations in your movie-focused voicemails, texts, DMs, and more Badlands listeners. Let's get into it. Greetings, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the rap party. Let's dive right into Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford, huge, huge, huge movie star of the 1930s. You're like, who the fuck is Joan Crawford? Well, listen, man, I'm going to tell you. She was one of the highest paid actresses working at the time back in the 30s. She was there in the silent era before that and then transitioned into the talkie era of Hollywood. Life magazine, to give you an idea of how big she was, called her queen of the movies, but by the end of the 1930s, audiences, they'd had enough of Joan Crawford. And they found her to be out of fashion. You know how fickle audiences can be, right? So her film started to lose money. Before long, they're calling her box office poison. All right? She had a comeback, though, in the late 40s and in the 50s. 1946, she won the Academy Award for Best Actress for Mildred Pierce and uh, famously starred opposite 
her enemy, Betty Davis, and whatever happened to Baby Jane in 1962. We get into all this in the full episode, okay? This is just to whet the appetite. Because you may have seen the name Joan Crawford come up in your feed. And I don't know, maybe you're like 22 years old. Hell, maybe you're 32 years old. And you're just like, I don't give a shit about this old ass actress from like so many generations ago. Never heard of him before. Could care less. I'm here to tell you why you should care. Okay. This is an incredible story. Now, maybe some of you know Joan Crawford because of a book, an expose really, that was written by her adopted daughter uh, right after Joan Crawford died in 1977. That book was called Mommy Dearest, and it cast Joan Crawford as a horrible mother, uh, abusive mother, just made her look horrible. They made a movie into it a few years later. Again, Joan Crawford is dead at this time. So they go and they make this movie about the book that her stepdaughter wrote called Mommy Dearest. The movie stars Faye Donaway. And it's one of those movies, one of those so bad it's good kind of movies. That wasn't the intention. It was supposed to be a drama, but it ended up being a comedy. (laughs) This was back before the internet, obviously, before things could live and die in a 24-hour media cycle. And uh, what happened with this movie is kind of interesting. It was so bad. It was so good. It missed the mark dramatically and became a comedy that uh, Paramount, who the studio who put the movie out, they started to just market it as a comedy. They started to lean into the campy side of it. And as such, uh, the movie did okay. It's become a cult classic. And we touch on all this a bit in the episode. I'm not going to get into whether or not Joan Crawford was a bad mom uh, here or really there. I'm just establishing this for our collective perception of Joan Crawford as an actress and a person. And to give you the picture of a really compelling character that I think is... uh, definitely worth checking out. Now, I'm not afraid to go there when it comes to uh, history and diving into these older subjects. I find them to be personally fascinating to me. I guess if I could have one selfish wish in life, it would be to go back in time and to experience life as it was in different moments in history that were wildly different from where we're living right now. So I find that these characters they compel me. They interest me. They're, they're endlessly interesting to me. And uh, I think that you're going to pick up on that from this Joan Crawford episode. A lot of what is lost, however, in the narrative now about Joan Crawford is just how fucking badass she was and how powerful she was, both as a young actress and an older actress when her career, uh, you know, both when her career was on a high, frankly, and when it was in the toilet, frankly. Okay, this is a woman who went toe-to-toe with that old queen, J. Edgar Hoover, former director of the FBI, going as far as to threaten him, uh, (laughs) to threaten, again, going as far as to threaten the director of the FBI and not any old director of the FBI. To that point, the first and only director of the FBI, the guy who famously threatened presidents, she threatened him because there was this old stag film, aka porn, that she was in that she wanted destroyed. Uh, you can hear all this in the episode. Uh, Joan Crawford also went on to marry the president and chairman of the board of Pepsi-Cola. Uh, when he died in 1959, she then became Pepsi's brand ambassador. I thought that was really interesting. And that distinction put her back in the room with J. Edgar Hoover and Richard Nixon and Lyndon Johnson on the evening of November 21st, 1963. Now, why is that date significant? You're asking your Uh, That's because it was one day before the president, John F. Kennedy at the time, was assassinated. So 
What was Joan Crawford doing the night before with J. Edgar Hoover, Richard Nixon, and Lyndon Johnson before President Kennedy was assassinated? I'm not saying that Joan Crawford had something to do with JFK and Lee Harvey Oswald, Dealey Plaza, and all that. But let's just say you should check out the episode for more details. Okay? Now, this whole mommy dearest business that I was talking about at the top of this episode got me thinking. This is Faye Donaway playing Joan Crawford. And I want to know, what is the greatest on-screen portrayal by an actor or an actress, by another actor or an actress. We've got a lot of these in history, a lot of great ones, and you're already thinking of stuff right now. I can hear your wheels turning. You've got Robert Downey Jr. in Chaplin, amazing performance. Kate Blanchett, who's pretty much amazing in everything, as Katherine Hepburn in The Aviator. The thing about that role with Kate Blanchett and Katherine Hepburn, Kate Blanchett, aside from her color and complexion, like her red hair and her her fair complexion. She really does not look anything like Katherine Hepburn. Yet in The Aviator, I'm just fucking convinced. I'm like, this is Katherine Hepburn. In fact, when I think of Katherine Hepburn now, I think of Kate Blanchett first. That's how good she is in this. You've got Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. Incredible. And this is one of those other ones. Margot Robbie plays Sharon Tate in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is one of those other ones where This happens a lot where they try to portray an actor or an actress or or anyone really from from history who was strikingly beautiful, either as, you know, either man or woman. This goes both ways, obviously. And and the actress just cannot come close. Sharon Tate is one of the most beautiful women who ever breathed. Okay. Like famously, like would walk down the street and cars would crash. (laughs) It's like that's how good looking she was. And Margot Robbie does her beauty justice in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And from everything I've read of Sharon Tate, um, Margot Robbie really captured the spirit of her as well. And I've read a lot about Sharon Tate. Uh, You've also got uh, another one that's sort of unsung. And forgive me, I don't know the actor's name, but the guy who played Serge Gainsbourg in that Serge Gainsbourg biopic is incredible. He's an incredible actor and he looks so much like him. It's nuts. Then you've got Jim Carrey as Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon. What else you got? Okay, what are the greatest on-screen portrayals of actors or actresses from history by, obviously, modern actors and actresses? Actors playing actors, actresses playing actresses. Who you got? 617-906-6638. Call me. Leave me a voicemail. Let me know. Uh, And to that point, let's check out some voicemails from you guys from last week. Last week, we had this episode on Sigourney Weaver, which I'm very proud of. Definitely a kick-ass woman, kick-ass actress. And it prompted the question, who are the most kick-ass actresses uh, in, in film history? And we got this response in here from Samantha in the 512. Hey, Jake, this is Samantha from the 512. You've got to put Angelina Jolie in there. We might not like her now, but she kicked ass in the Tomb Raiders. And then I also just wanted to say, if you haven't watched Death and the Maiden, watch it. One of the best movies I've ever seen. There's like three people, Ben Kingsley, Sigourney Weaver, and I'm not sure who the other guy was, but excellent movie. Have a great day. Thanks, Samantha. Duly noted. You know, I've never seen that Angelina Jolie movie, and I'm going to go ahead and watch it. I'm trying to think of other kick-ass Angelina Jolie roles that I've seen. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, obviously, but Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider, Tomb Raiders? I can't remember. I'm going to get into it. Let's check out what Jackie from the 603 has to say. Hi, Jake. This is Jackie calling from... Three, New Hampshire. You cannot talk about bad ass actresses without talking about Lisa Thurman as the bride in the Kill Bill series. I mean, she's just the one and only, and the fact that it didn't come up is a little surprising. 
Jackie, thanks for the call. Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. I cannot disagree with you, Uma Thurman. But here's the thing. I'm going to admit this now in front of all of you. I have never sat down and watched either of the Kill Bills from start to finish. I've seen pretty much almost all of the first Kill Bill, but never sort of like just, I'm going to do this as a thing. And uh, I have no reason for it. I fucking love everything I've seen. Um, but I've just, I've just <laughs> never done it. And I am a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. I've read both his books. I've seen all his movies, obviously, except for, I don't know, I, I can't even really count this one because I haven't seen it from start to finish as you're supposed to see it. And because of that, I've never seen part two. And I'm, you know what, you know what it is? It's sort of like I'm saving these now. I'm in part saving them until my oldest son is uh, of age so we can both sit down and watch these all together. But uh, I don't think I'm going to make it that long, Jackie. I think I'm going to have to watch it. But another thing we should mention here, since you brought up uh, Kill Bill and we're talking about badass women and uh, Tarantino, there's also basically all the women in Death Proof um, in the crew that are in the car. That they're, they're just fucking incredible. And I cannot remember the name. I'm going to look it up here uh, because this woman is so kick-ass. I want to do her a service and get her name right. Um, it's the woman who is the – she's a stunt woman. She actually doubled for – she was a stunt double for Uma Thurman in Kill Bill, Zoe Bell. And she she's obviously in uh, Death Proof as well. And she's fucking awesome and if you look at how they made that movie and look at what she had to do that whole scene where she's on the hood of the car they shot that going 90 miles per hour with her hanging on to the hood of the car with her hands and because she's a stunt woman she's so used to obscuring her face when she's on camera that they did this stunt this death-defying stunt and they got to the end of it and quentin tarantino had to walk up to her and say uh great job that was incredible. Thank you for almost killing yourself for me and my movie. Uh, but we can't see your face. And I got to have you do the whole thing again. And she did it again because they needed to see her face. Because the whole conceit of having her in that movie, Death Proof, playing essentially herself, if not herself, I can't remember. I think she does play herself, Zoe, is to have her do her own stunts, obviously. Just fucking incredible. And of course, she did it and she kicked ass. So I, I'm going to go with Zoe Bell. I'm going to throw her name in the mix. Thank you for mentioning Uma Thurman, Zoe Bell. Um, and since we're on the Tarantino thing, I, you, you got to throw in Pam Greer here. I don't know how you can't. Jackie Brown and, and all the other, I'm not going to go into the whole Pam Greer filmography, but there's a lot and uh, just totally kick ass. Let's check out uh, the 402 here. Gretchen in the 402. Hey, Jake, this is Gretchen from the 402. And regarding Badlands, this week's episode was amazing. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, she was also in Copycat. Um, you left that one out. Did you catch that ever? I thought she was an amazing badass in that one. Jessica Lang is one of my favorite badass women. The original King Kong. She was in uh, Cape Fear. She resurrected herself in the American Horror Stories and showed everybody that there was no place she wasn't willing to go for that series and doing Joan Crawford in Feud with Susan Sarandon as um, Betty Davis. Absolutely fucking phenomenal. Big, big fan of yours. Again, keep it up. Love the pod. Gretchen, I have not seen Copycat, but on your uh, 
on your word. I will check that out. Jessica Lane for Badass Women. Yeah, I can go there. I'm a Jessica Lange fan, more of a Sam Shepard fan, who she famously was coupled with. Not sure if they were married or not. Let's check out Mark from the 617. Jake, this is Mark from the 617. If you're throwing Star Wars in there, you really should also throw in Rogue One. Underrated. And a couple of others in the same sci-fi mission movie lane with an added bonus that everybody dies in accomplishing the mission. And those movies would be Sunshine, directed by Danny Boyle, and Europa Report, mission movie. A lot of incoming mission movie stuff here. Rogue One, I, you know, I think it's fine. I like it. I don't love it. Sunshine, Europa Report, okay. This is a great window in because I've been really, really into these mission movies. I'm going to talk about on the recommendations part here. There are so many good ones. And there are so many movies that aren't mission movies that are disguised as mission movies. And it got me thinking, it's like, God, is, is, is this the only thing I want to watch? Even my favorite Westerns are in part mission movies. Um, my favorite heist movies are mission movies. So, Mark, thanks for the call. Appreciate you. Let's check in with uh, Frank in the 516. From New York over here, I actually listened to just about every episode of Disgraceland and Badlands in just the last couple of months. And it's been awesome. Love the show. So, well, there's other people about it. was actually told by a friend about it, so I'm glad they did that. You just talked about movies about uh, groups doing a mission. Cannot stress enough, favorite movie, Armageddon, for this. You got an awesome cast in Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler, Aerosmith did the soundtrack, Bruce Willis in the movie. Such a great movie. Can do anything but make you cry, laugh, and everything else in between as well. Great movie for that. Also wanted to say real quick, you never give a love, enough love to my absolute favorite trilogy, Back to the Future. What's that about? You've never mentioned it, dude. Anyway, awesome show. Love you so much, man. Thanks so much for doing what you do. Keep it up, man. Thanks, Mike. Great from New York. Frank, thanks for listening, my man. I appreciate you. Um, I'm going to answer the uh, it's a long message. I'm going to answer the Back to the Future part of it. I am a huge Back to the Future fan, mainly the first one. And I find it, uh, uh, I've read the script actually numerous times. This, I think Back to the Future might be one of the most perfect movies ever. <laughs> it's a cheeseball 80s thing from my youth, but just objectively, it's a great fucking film. I know people are going to shit on it, but I don't care. It's great. I'm with you, Frank. G'day, Jake. It's Peter here from the country code 61, Australia. You asked about mission movies. Well, you had the answer earlier on in the Badlands bonus that I just listened to from Jay in Alaska. And it's got to be The Flight of the Phoenix, 1965. John Aldrich directed, incredible all-star cast. Jimmy Stewart, of course, at the head of it, playing a hard-bitten old uh, U.S. Air Force pilot. They come down in the desert. Well, there's weakness, there's strength, there's cowardice and bravery. It's got it all covered. The interaction between the star players is just brilliant. Ernest Borgnine, Ian Bannon, Scottish actor, got a, a nomination for an Academy Award, and Hardy Kruger probably is the crux of the whole movie. I think he won a Golden Globe as the uh, German aeronautical engineer. I won't give it away because you haven't seen it as to what sort of a nautical engineer he was. See it, everybody. Okay, mate, cheers. Peter from Australia. Thank you, my man. Yeah, Mission Movies. Ah, Flight of the Phoenix, 1965. I've never seen it. And, you know, there's sort of that weird period there in the 60s where all the guys, Henry Fonda, Jimmy Stewart, who you mentioned, Cary Grant, all these guys are making movies and they're trying to find their place. 
So it's kind of a weird time, 65 for these guys, but I'll take your word. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Uh, side note, uh, saw the, uh, I forget, something, something social club with Jimmy Stewart and Henry Ford the other night. Saw a bit of it. It was really fucking funny. Similar era, 60s, late era Jimmy Stewart. Hey, Jake, it's Terry from way out in Idaho again, the 208. Hey, I'm about a day late and a dollar short on some of these, but anyway, want to touch some bases. You just covered Sigourney Weaver. I don't recall hearing if you had watched Aliens yet. Still would like to know if you'd seen it and what you thought. There was a question not too long ago about leading men of the 70s. You know, I pondered that one, and I just came up with Robert Shaw because he was in the best summer movie of all time, which was Jaws. Can't say that he would be on anybody else's list, but I got to go with him. That question of leading men made me think of Burt Reynolds as well, and you had asked about the best 70s movies. Nobody mentioned Deliverance, and that just blows me away. What a great movie. So anyway, that's a good one. Let me know about that Aliens movie, because I'm thinking it's still the best one in the series. Anyway, keep up the great work, and rock-a-rolla. All right, Terry. Terry from the 208. Way out, way out, way out in Idaho. Terry from the 208. Let's see here. You covered a lot, and I want to get to it. Um, Leading men of the 70s. Yep. Robert Shaw has come up, but Robert Shaw's great. And he's in so many great things in the seventies, but he's really from a previous generation. He's not the, he's not in that seventies wheelhouse. Now, if you came at me with someone like Charles Bronson, right, I might say, okay, okay. He didn't really have the, I guess he did have some huge box office stuff, but not really in that Burt Reynolds, Paul Newman, Steve McQueen lane. Um, but yeah, love Robert Shaw. Of course, Jaws forever. Of course. So guys, listen, Great calls. Keep them coming. 617-906-6638. I am forever here to talk about 70s movies if you want to keep talking about that and mission movies. But I want to get into this thing this week as well, talking about actors playing other famous actors on screen. 617-906-6638. Call me. Leave me your voicemail. Send me your text. Uh, We'll be back with some texts and some DMs after this. Hey, it's fall. We're getting back to school with the kids. We're getting back to school ourselves in many cases. Work is picking up. Your boss isn't letting you slack off at home anymore. And you're finding yourself, you don't have time to make dinner. You don't have time to make healthy dinners, okay? So if you're looking for an easy way to ensure that you can make a healthy dinner and that you have wholesome, convenient meals for these jam-packed days, check out Factor. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and I can honestly say that this food is great. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals. They're delivered straight to your door and ready in just two minutes. All you got to do is heat and enjoy. Refresh your healthy habits without missing a beat. Choose from 34-plus weekly flavor-packed dietitian-approved meals. All right, they got these Gourmet Plus options where you can treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. I really enjoyed the sun-dried tomato chicken with zucchini noodles, the blackened salmon with smoked gouda cauliflower grits. 
awesome. Also dug the three bean vegan chili with cornbread casserole and tofu based crema. These are just a few of the many options that you can select from. This food is great. I'm telling you, it's never frozen. Like I said, you're eating healthy, you're eating fresh. If you're too busy running around during the day to think about lunch, you can also check out Factor's lunch to go options. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls, salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. All right. Last but not least, you can round out your meal, replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45 plus add-ons, including breakfast items. Okay, they got you covered with apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, or if you're super health conscious for an easy wellness boost, you can try refreshing beverage options like cold pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. Factor's got everything you need. So this August, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Just choose your meals and enjoy fresh flavor packed meals delivered to your door ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess, nothing frozen, like I said. Head to factormeals.com com slash badlands50 and use code badlands50 to get 50% off. That's code badlands50 at factormeals.com slash badlands50 to get 50% off. Chronic migraine is 15 or more headache days a month, each lasting four hours or more. Botox, onabotulinum toxin A, prevents headaches in adults with chronic migraine. It's not for adults with migraine with 14 or fewer headache days a month. It prevents, on average, 8 to 9 headache days a month versus 6 to 7 for placebo. Prescription Botox is injected by your doctor. Effects of Botox may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness can be signs of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Side effects may include allergic reactions, neck and injection site pain, fatigue, and headache. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Don't receive Botox if there's a skin infection. Tell your doctor your medical history, muscle or nerve conditions, including ALS Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome, and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. Ask your doctor and visit BotoxChronicMigraine.com or call 1-800-44-BOTOX to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, we are back. I want to talk a little bit about the music connection from this week's episode. First, so we got to talk about this, right? Back to Joan Crawford, the movie that was made about Joan Crawford, Mommy Dearest. Two months before that film opened in theaters, the band Blue Oyster Cult released their eighth studio album called Fire of Unknown Origin. This is the one with Burning For You. I fucking love Burning For You. I love this song. But also towards the end of side B of this record, there's a song called Joan Crawford, which features the chorus, and I'm not making this up. Joan Crawford has risen from the grave. That's it. That's the chorus. So there you go, Joan Crawford, forever immortalized in proto-heavy metal infamy. Uh, where does Blue Oyster Cult's Joan Crawford rank among the songs about Hollywood icons? This is another good question, all right? Is it as good as Bela Lugosi is Dead by Bauhaus? Is it as good as Steve McQueen by Sheryl Crow? You bet your ass it is. Is it as good as David Bowie by Fish? 
The Right Profile by The Clash about Montgomery Cliff? No, it's not. Nothing's as good as The Right Profile by The Clash about Montgomery Cliff. But who else do you got? Let me know. Great songs about actors with their names in the title, preferably. 617-906-6638. Come on. This works for both lanes of our street here. Badlands and Disgraceland. Let me know. Also relevant to this episode on Joan Crawford that we just did, the number one movie from this episode is the aforementioned Mommy Dearest, right? We've already covered that. Not going to get into that. But Joan Crawford, I do want to talk a little bit about her career. Lasted over 40 decades. And you guys might be thinking, what do I need to see? What do I need to watch? Okay, Joan Crawford was in a lot of movies, so I'm not going to list everything here. But here are just some career highlights. The big one. Well, first of all, let's go back. In the 30s. Right, Lots of stuff with Clark Gable, uh, Dancing Lady, Love on the Run, Strange Cargo, uh, The Women, but also the big one, 1945. Sort of, sort of past her prime at this point, but she, she won an Academy Award for this for Mildred Pierce. And if I'm not mistaken, they remade that with Kate Winslet. I could be wrong. Other movies, Possessed, 1947, not the same movie as the movie from the 1930s. This one's a film noir. Got her a nomination, right? Not a bad flick. Flamingo Road from 49. The other big one, Johnny Guitar from 1954. All right, this is a cult classic Western directed by Nicholas Ray with our guy Sterling Hayden as Johnny Guitar. And then, of course, 1962, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. That's the big one. We get into that. Uh, And then there's a sci-fi film in 1970, uh, seven years before her death, called Trog. All right, so there you go. That's the scoop on Joan Crawford. Now let's get the scoop on you from your DMs and your texts. All right, more mission movie fodder here. Texting in from the 509, okay? Best mission movies, Kelly's Heroes, Bridge on the River Kwai, Where Eagles Dare, Dirty Dozen. I have seen two of those three. I've never seen Where Eagles Dare, but I might know what I'm watching tonight. So thank you for that, 509. Appreciate that. This one here from the 312 writes in, hey, Jake, Sarah from the 312 slash 920, a badass crime couple that rarely makes a list is Pumpkin and Honey Bunny from Pulp Fiction. Maybe because it's a small part, but still essential. Anyway, I think a badass female is Tank Girl, played by Lori Petty. Great movie if you haven't seen it. Keep on keeping on. All right, Sarah, I have never seen Tank Girl, and I agree with you wholeheartedly on Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. There could have been a whole spinoff on Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. Also, anyone know the name of that diner? It's in like a gazillion movies. Let me know if you know the name of the diner from Pulp Fiction. Hit me up. All right, from the 803, Jamey writes in, greatest mission movie of all time, The Blues Brothers. I will die on this hill. <laughs> Thanks for all you do. Tell people about these podcasts all the time. Whole other side of the people we all know. You're right. It is a whole other side. And you're right. Blues Brothers might be the greatest mission movie of all time. Now I want to watch it through that lens. Through your lens, Jamey. Thank you. I appreciate that. Allison from Seattle in the 310 writes in, uh, regarding bonus episode asking for badass actresses, Michelle Yeoh. She's been doing her own stunts in martial arts and action movies since the 80s till now. Plus, she's multilingual, which is always impressive. Love the show. I can't argue with you, Allison. You are right. Uh, from the 716 Steve McQueen recommendation, Papillon with Dustin Hoffman. Uh, I believe, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. In our Paul McCartney episode of Disgraceland, we get into Papillon a little bit. But I've never seen it, so now I've got to see it. 361, Jake, bro, this is Jessica from Corpus Christi, Texas. I listen to you while I'm out delivering pizzas. Anyway, I clicked on that newer show with the goddess weaver herself, the lost flowers of Alice Hart. Dude, I'm only an episode and a half in, and holy shit, that's all I'm going to say. Scope it. Well, all right, I will. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I will check this out. 
All right. Thank you, 361. Thank you, Jessica from Corpus Christi. I appreciate that. The 202 writes in, Ah, Sigourney Weaver movie, The Year of Living Dangerously. Such a good and hot movie. The stuff between her and Mel Gibson. Blah. Thank you, 202. 202, you sound horny. You should go do something about that. The 541 writes in, Hey, Jake, another disco massage therapist here. Just heard the call for info about her jobs in the last After Party episode. I've been a massage therapist now for three years, and I specialize in relaxation massage. I actually became a listener when my massage school went on break during COVID, so I had plenty of time to catch up on old episodes. I don't listen to podcasts during every massage session, but about one-third of my clients fall asleep during their massages, and a lot of the rest uh, also totally zone out on the table. So once it's clear they don't want me to hold conversation with them, I'll pop a single earbud in, and I'll get into my own flow. It's a lot better than the same looping spa music every day. Love the podcast. Always looking forward to the next one. Rockerola Nina from the 541. Appreciate you, Nina. Really do. Now I, know I got something to talk about next time I go get a massage with the masseuse. I'm going to be like, you can't fool me, man. I know you're listening to fucking podcasts. I know that's what you guys do. I know that's what you do. All right, from the 303, badass female characters, not a movie, but Beth Dutton in Yellowstone. Yes, I would agree. Totally badass. Doesn't know when enough is enough, but she is not someone to fuck with. You are absolutely right. She's not. And she's someone very interesting's daughter. That's something that... uh Obviously went in one ear and out the other. I, I heard that or read it. Find out who Beth Hutton's father is. Let me know, all right? You're going to be surprised. Um, 302 writes in, I don't have a mission movie to recommend, but a mission show. In the Dark on Netflix is a great show. Basically, all four seasons are on the same mission, but somehow it never gets old. Haven't watched the final two episodes yet because I don't want it to be over. I know that feeling. A mission comedy show that's freaking great is Sprung on Amazon. It was done by Greg Garcia, who wrote My Name is Earl. Well, damn, those are some good recommendations. I appreciate that. Your text, you can hit me up, 617-906-6638. Give me your recommendations and more. You can answer any of the many questions we've asked here today, right? Well, you can answer some of the old ones, too. Who's the biggest badass female actress best leading men of the 70s, greatest mission movies, but then some of the modern ones we talked about today. Uh, favorite portrayals of famous actors by modern-day actors or famous actresses by modern-day actresses. Take your pick. Also, wanting to know, as always, a little bit about you guys, what you do. I really enjoy meeting you and getting to know you. 617-906-6638. Text, voicemail, whatever you got, recommendations. We're going to take a break. I'll be back on the other side with some of my recommendations. It's the Smucker's Uncrustables Radio Hour with round soft pillowy bread filled with delicious PB&J. Here's your host, Uncrustables. Caller on line three. What's eating you? No one. Crust, is that you? Ugh. Uncrustables are the best part of the sandwich. Sorry, Crust. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. 
Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. All right, this is the other recommendations part, the part of the other show where we recommend the movies and television content, the recommendations part, the part where we discuss the movies and television we're recommending. This is the recommendations part here in the Badlands Rap Party bonus episode 617-906-6638. Send me your voicemail, send me your text, let me know what you're recommending, let me know what you think of my recommendations. The first one I want to talk about this week is the movie The Heist from, I believe, 2001, maybe 2000 with Marlon Brando, Ed Norton, and Robert De Niro. I saw this movie probably about I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. I didn't see it in the theater when it came out. I don't think I saw it much later, a couple years after perhaps. Um, and I liked it, but I rewatched it because we were talking about mission movies and heist movies. And someone brought this to my attention. One of you listeners, I can't remember who, re reminded me of the heist. And, uh, you know, with that incredible cast, just bears mentioning one more time, Ed Norton, Robert De Niro, and Marlon Brando in what I believe is Brando's last movie. I could be wrong about that. Th- that's one thing. You know, you, you know, there's plenty of... De Niro does plenty of shitty movies. Uh, <laughs> and Marlon Brando's done his fair share as duds. And I can't think of a bad Ed Norton movie, but I'm sure he has them. So there's no guarantee when you put these guys together that they're going to come up with something compelling. But this movie is fucking great. Okay? It is tight. It is constantly filled with compelling action even in the sort of slower procedural moments the mission is laid out perfectly the obstacles to the mission the guideposts that they lay out that they inevitably end up not hitting and then having to readjust for just great and the ending mm, perfect so good the heist is incredible if you have not seen it check it out and if you haven't seen it in a while it's probably worth a rewatch uh from your perspective from my perspective i fuck i might watch it again tonight i don't know um i've been watching a ton of westerns and westerns haven't typically been my bag not something i'm into um but i've been into them lately and it all started with uh sort of Steve McQueen kick that I've been on. I talked to you guys last week, I believe, about uh, rewatching The Magnificent Seven. I went and I rewatched The Wild Bunch right after that because I wanted to compare. I've seen what The Wild Bunch before, but I wanted to compare it to The Magnificent Seven. They're not too far apart. I think they're about four or five years apart. I think Magnificent Seven is 65. I think The Wild Bunch is 69. And The Wild Bunch is an incredibly different movie. It's a, it's a much better movie in my estimation. It's Sam Peckinpah's sort of I don't want to say masterpiece, but it's up there, man. It's uh, the violence in it. I was trying to watch it through the eyes of somebody from 1969 to try to understand the impact that that movie had on people visually uh, with the sort of the, the big violent action scenes that they have. And, and it's great. It's, it's hard to transport yourself and to try and see it objectively like that. But it's not the greatest part of the movie. To me, the greatest part of that movie is sort of the masculine interaction between the main characters, between William Holden and Ernest Borgnine in particular, and also Robert Ryan. And just this sort of, this this long-lost, gruff, sort of post-war, World War II 
way of men relating to one another. It's uh, it's it's regressive. It's fucked up, but on on the other hand, it's also simple and beautiful in its own way. And uh, the Wild Bunch, just great fucking movie. I highly recommend it. If you've seen it before, worth a rewatch, just like the heist. And uh, if you've never seen it, uh, totally worth watching with fresh eyes. Been watching, like I said, though, a lot of Westerns recently. Watched that one. Watched The Magnificent Seven, as I said. I watched The Searchers with John Wayne. I need to get into more John Ford films. I'm trying to really understand these different generational filmmakers. You've got the old guard like John Ford, and then you've got Peckinpah who comes along a little later. And then, of course, you've got uh, you've got all the, the, the spaghetti Western stuff. Um, I watched a great movie. I think I think it's also from the same year as The Magnificent Seven. Might be 1965. It's called Broken Lance. It's kind of a take on King Lear. It's with Spencer Tracy, who I've never really paid much attention to before, in the sort of patriarchal, tragic hero role at the center of this family. It's very. It's got heavy succession vibes, but like I said, it's a western from from the mid '60s. And Spencer Tracy is a fucking mean old bastard, and he's great in this film, and uh, just highly, highly recommend it. Uh, the drama's excellent. Great, great movie, Broken Lance. So many great modern westerns too. You know, or semi-modern, I guess. The Quick and the Dead, The Unforgiven. And then there's, I, I, since you know where I'm going with this, I'm going to bring it up. This is one of my favorite, this is my favorite Western of all time. Possibly one of, it's definitely one of my favorite movies of all time in the top 10, I think. And definitely my favorite Peckinpah movie of all time. It's Sam Peckinpah's best movie, in my opinion, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Yes, I think Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid is better than The Getaway. Um, but let me know, favorite Westerns, 617-906-6638. Give me some modern ones, too, because I feel like I am uh, I'm woefully inadequate in my knowledge of modern Western cinema. I know there's got to be some great ones out there. Hit me up. And save the Star Wars as a Western text and voicemails. I know. I'm just not as interested in Star Wars as the rest of the world is. What else have I been watching? I started watching The Pope's Exorcist on Netflix. I was really into it, especially the soundtrack. I mean, God damn. 1987, I believe, is when it's set. And uh, the first thing you see and hear uh, after the cold open is just this beautiful shot. I believe it's in Spain. And it's sort of like overlooking these high banks or this forest. I can't really remember because I was so distracted by the incredible song. It was She Sells Sanctuary by the cult just blaring through. It's just fucking great. A lot of great stuff from the uh, mid-early 80s in, in what was only really the first act. Not even. I don't even think we got through the first act or close to it there. But I'm going to go back and I'm going to rewatch that. Have you guys seen The Pope's Exorcist on Netflix? I was really into it. My wife got too scared. We had a bail. But I'm going to finish it. I want to know what you guys thought if you saw it. Let me know, but don't give away the ending. All right? 617-906-6638 for your movie recommendations, your television recommendations as well. Uh, what are you guys watching? All right? Let me know. You can also reach me at DisgracelandPod on Instagram, Twitter, excuse me, X, and uh, Facebook. All right, back in a flash after this.
All right, let's recap. Number one, the obvious, the Joan Crawford episode of Badlands is available in your feed right now. Go check that out. Next week, number two, next week in Badlands, a brand new episode on Bill Murray. Number three, over in the Disgraceland feed, we got a re-release of the Notorious B.I.G. Part 2 episode from Season 7. That's available for you right now, too. Four, call me, 617-906-6638. We'll keep this Badlands movie conversation going. Number five, I got a split. I got other podcasts to record, and I have to return some videotapes. So right now, a second dose of bliss for yours truly in honor of this week's Badlands episode, me reading you the script from Mummy Dearest. Mummy Dearest, a screenplay by Frank Yablans, Frank Perry. Shooting script, December 22nd, 1980. Fade in, interior, Jones Bathroom, Brentwood House, 1938, pre-dawn. Undertitles, a series of extremely close shots. Extreme close-up, a hand turns a light switch in the darkened bathroom. Extreme close-up, same hand plugs one end of an electrical cord into a wall socket. Extreme close-up, same hand takes the other end of the cord and plugs it into an early General Electric coffee percolator, 1937 model. Extreme close-up, a large electric clock, it reads 4.15. Sound effects, birds chirp in the darkness outside the window. Extreme close-up, two hands turn on steamy hot water from a fancy gold tap. Extreme close-up, two hands open a refrigerator or remove a canister of ice cubes and a bottle of distilled water. Extreme close-up, same two hands, empty ice cubes into a large, elegant porcelain bowl and place it next to the steamy basin. Extreme close-up, the coffee begins to perk. Extreme close-up, same hands pour distilled water over ice cubes and sprinkle rock salt on a mixture to make it colder. Extreme close-up, same hands scrubbing furiously with soap, water, and scrub brush. Extreme close-up, same two soapy hands come up to Joan's face which she soaps. Furiously, this is our first view of Joan Crawford. Close up, the coffee like Joan is perking furiously. Quit talking and start mixing. Cut it!